Now, in Amos chapter 7, for our guest, we're in a series called The Lion Roars. And we're in chapter 7 this morning, and we're reminded that it was about judgment on the enemies of God, and then ultimately Amos let Israel know that there's judgment upon you because of disobedience. Chapter 7 highlights what is coming and what Israel can expect, and Amos uses three things to help us get a picture of the judgment of God. I want to mention the first two right off the bat. Verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, Amos said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray. O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Verse 4. Thus the Lord showed me, behold, the Lord God called for a conflict by fire. So he mentions locust swarms and now fire. And has consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray. O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. And the, and the reference to Jacob there is a reference to Israel. And in essence, Amos is saying, God cannot, you can't do this, Lord. We, they can't handle it. They can't take it. It will destroy them. It will destroy them. And the Bible says, verse 6, so the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. So God, we ask in the next few minutes, as you have our attention, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would direct us and begin to move us to think about this bread and this cup, the pictures of your precious body and blood. Lord, we also recognize that for a Christian, it's a time to look forward. It's a time to look ahead, knowing that the pain of this life is not the end. So, God, we ask that you would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the Bible says, so the Lord relented. And I don't know if this intrigues you or causes you to question, but it certainly causes me to wonder is the Bible telling us that God changes his mind? I mean, if God loves me, as the Bible says, could God ever not love me? If the promise of heaven is really true, everlasting life, uh, is there ever a point where it doesn't become everlasting? And I think what we see in this passage today is that God's character does not change, and that will help us as we look at this passage. Your Bible may say, repented. New King James says, relented. It means to breathe strongly. It means to be sorry, to have pity. Strong's Greek and Hebrew say that God's relenting means he changes his mind here, but it never compromises his holiness nor his character. That's the first thing you'll see in your outline this morning. And that helps me grasp this a little bit. 
One writer said, this passage really helps us recognize that there's harmony in who God is. For instance, when a person repents, God doesn't change his mind, uh, but he relates to him in accordance to his need, and he allows grace and mercy. Um, You know, there are some things that are eternal. The word of God is eternal, and the souls of men are eternal, meaning that you're going somewhere when you die. We just don't go to the cemetery, dig the hole, and, and your body disintegrates, and that's it over the years. But there's actually a living being soul in you, the part that only you know and God knows, that will live forever somewhere. Now, when you think about this passage, I want you to think about the heart of Amos because he is pleading with God. And that's the second thing I want us to see this morning. A fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman can change history as God moves. He uses the the locust swarm. He uses fire. But there's something, a third thing he uses in this passage that I really want to theme the message around, and the message is called the plumb line. Now, most of you know that I'm not quite, I'm not much of a mechanic and not much of a carpenter. But a while back during COVID, we redid the fellowship hall. Don Garrett, Carl Brooks, and Don Bridge, I believe, were our trustees, and we undertook this task uh, to redo the fellowship hall and got everything painted and looking good, and then we finally got to the point of, of ordering these acoustic panels, and then how are we going to mount them on the wall? And the company sent us these things called Z-clips. They're brackets you put into the wall, and you match them up with the back of the panel, and they hook right down on the clip. So Carl came, and and we knew we could go to Carl. Carl had been, if I'm not mistaken, Tanya, uh, he had been working at Trader's World as like a maintenance man. He could do anything. And uh, Carl came, and he got his toolbox out, Ken, and he he snapped a, a line, a horizontal line in a certain spot, and then began to mark at certain distances. And I thought, well, that must be where we're going to put the top brackets on that line. But it's what he did next that got my attention. He got in his old box that had everything in it. And he pulled out a string and he tied it to this big bullet-looking thing. Went up to that top screw, tied it around it, dropped that thing down. I said, well, that's novel. What is that? He said, it's a plumb bob. Why do we need that? Because we need to make sure we get a straight line. No laser, no Ryobi battery tools. A string and a bullet would give us the straight line that we needed to accomplish the task. And when you look at this passage this morning, there's been an invasion of locusts, conflict by fire, verse 7. Then he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, 
and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. So he adds a plumb line to paint a picture of judgment. And here's what the conclusion is. Israel is crooked. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to take the bread and the cup. Who's it for? First of all, it's for born-again believers in Jesus Christ. If you've ever given your heart to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're welcome this morning. Because we recognize that this isn't the actual body of Jesus. This is symbolic of the precious body of Jesus. And this juice is symbolic of the precious blood of Jesus. It means something to a believer. It means something to a believer. That my life has been bought and paid for and I'm saved by the grace of God. But isn't it interesting that the prayers of Amos were prayers that God heard? And brothers and sisters, someone has prayed for you in your life. Somebody's praying for you today. Somebody is praying for us this morning, and there should be a a proper response in how we answer that. Uh, let Let me give you a few. First of all, if you're not a Christian, you need to run to Calvary. You need to get there today. You need to come to Christ. You'll say, well, Brother Greg, I feel like I'm a pretty good man. I feel like I'm a pretty good woman. Listen to me. That's the first thing you have to get over. Pride will keep more people out of heaven than anything. People thinking they're pretty good. Now, I I don't argue the fact that we have wonderful men and women sitting in this room today. But I'm telling you, your wonderfulness will never get you to heaven. We all have a disease. We all have a heart problem. It's called sin. It's a dark spot. And Jesus died to pay for it. And that's what a Christian is. It's somebody who says, that's me. That's me. Renee and I had the opportunity to get away, uh, a different kind of a week for us on vacation. We went to some cabins in southeast Ohio. I mean, they were really primitive, but there was a hot tub on the porch. And when I went to the restroom for the first time and walked in the bathroom, I thought, where's the, where's the flusher for the commode? There, it wasn't there. But there was a ring hanging on a lever up here. And you pulled that, and lo and behold, boom. Then we went to the sink, and there was this copper tubing coming into the sink. And there was a brass ring over here that said cold, warm, hot. And you pulled the ring down, and the water came. And I thought, you know what? Life wasn't so bad so back then. I just ran and jumped in the hot tub. But it was simple. It was simple. And I want to tell you something. The Lord's table should be simple and spectacular at the same time. Because you recognize what Jesus did on Calvary, what the, what the bread and what the, the juice represent, uh, the body and the blood, but you also represent the price it paid for. And it's salvation for the believer. Not being in a church, not being a member of a church, right? But being a Christian. And we're all here together, those of us that are brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, Christians, we're here together, listen, and we're united by the blood of Jesus Christ, the common thread. That's the good news. So run to Calvary. 
That should be our response. Cry out for mercy. That should be our response. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 that examine yourself before you partake. Examine yourself. Cry out for mercy. Lay it all on the line. Lay it all on the line. Quit living your life and hanging on to that little bit. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with that little bit from time to time. Anybody want to say amen? I do. I do. But God says surrender every fiber of your being. And you're going to recognize the impact of the plumb line. You see, the plumb line is a picture of the absolute righteousness of God. And because of our sin, we'll never measure up. That's why Jesus died. That's why we have hope today. That's why the answer for the shape the world's in is the Lord Jesus Christ, not another meeting, not another committee, not another political party, but the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the plumb line is God's line, and he measures us. And when we recognize that we're sinners and we come to Christ, listen to me, now we're accountable to live for him. We're accountable to live for him. Our character and our conduct is a picture of what Jesus has done in our life. Remember, folks, we don't work our way to the cross. We work our way from the cross. We can never work enough to be saved. But Ephesians 2.10 says we're called to do the works that God has given us for his glory. What happens for us is we get off plumb and we get hung up on insignificant things. Anybody want to say amen? We can do it at home. We can do it in church. But we can get tripped up over insignificant things. And when I think of a plumb line, I think how simple can that picture be? How simple can that picture be? So when we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded this morning that it's not about insignificant things. It's about what's changed my life from the inside out. You know, about Thursday of vacation this week, Renee asked me this question, are you tired of me yet? And I thought, holy cow, if, if I say yes and, and you walk out that door, there'll be no one to take care of me. I mean, who's going to fix that dinner out there on that grill? Who's going to keep asking me what shirt I'm wearing to church tomorrow morning? That kind of, listen to me, folks. You're saying, Brother Greg, you just love her because you use her. No, no, no. I recognize her role in my life. Put your hand on your heart again. Do I really believe that I could be in eternity, the next heartbeat? I believe that, but often I don't live that way. I make plans. I mean, I've got plans for Christmas. I've got plans for next year. We're going to do this or that or this or that. Folks, only by the grace of God are we not going to do anything for his glory. You see, when measured by God's plumb line, Amos is saying Israel's crooked. Amos could see it. The Lord had said it. We are to be surrendered to God's plumb line, and you can count on it. He doesn't make exceptions. You're either all in this morning or not in at all. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you look at verse 10, and, and, and I'll wrap up quickly. When you look at verse 10, we're introduced to a priest here named Amaziah. And Amaziah, in essence, says, Amos, we're sick of you. And, and we're tired of these judgment prophecies that you're 
uh, hollering out at against Israel. You see, Amaziah was what would be called a compromising priest. He wanted God to change. He even wanted Amos to change the message from God. He says, he's saying that Jeroboam, the king of Israel, is going to die. And when you look at verse 12, he says, Amos, go, you seer, S-E-E-R. He's saying, Amos, you're nothing but a hireling. You're just a prophet for hire. And then Amos responded. And we're going to respond this morning. Here is Amos's response. I love this. In essence, he gives them his resume. Verse 14, he answers Amaziah. You ready? I was no prophet, nor was I a son of the prophet, nor was I a sheep breeder, or, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of the sycamore fruit or a, a fig farmer. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. The Lord took me. He's saying, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son. I'm just a shepherd and a farmer. I didn't ask for this. But then he talked about the call. Verse 5, 15. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. And you say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not spout out against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord. You see, it was the call of God on his life. The Lord took him. The Lord spoke to him. And he gave him his marching orders, his sentence. And when you think of Amaziah and you think of Amos, you're looking at a priest and a prophet. And it wasn't uncommon for the priests and prophets to battle out a little bit. For instance, the priests were concerned with tradition. Tradition. When I was your pastor in those early years, I was so worried about not doing something that wasn't tradition here at this church. The priests were concerned with tradition. They wanted to conserve it. But the prophets, they had a word from God. And they would apply the word to the present time and conditions and say, listen, it's not God's word, it's not the plumb line that needs to move, but it's my life. And they would call people back to God. And then he concludes. Verse 17, therefore thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a harlot in the city, your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, your land shall be divided by the survey line, you shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Amos didn't back off. He didn't change the word because he recognized the plumb line. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the cross has never changed. The demands of salvation have never changed. Jesus Christ paid for it. He paid for it. And and the good news is, because he paid for it, it's not based on performance. Because he paid for it, I don't have to be good enough. Because he paid for it, I don't have to be able to keep it. I didn't earn it to begin with, but I receive it. And that's called grace. And as we come to the Lord's table, it's a picture of grace. So I want you to bow your heads.
And this is, this is an invitation. You're gonna, you're, I'm gonna, you can re, be, remain seated. I know some folks are going to be coming.